Hello, welcome to the Dragon Raid Adventure Learning System. In just a moment, we'll begin with the introduction and rules to the game. Before we talk to the players, we want to say a few things to the Adventure Master. What if you grew up learning scripture memory and biblical virtue from a Christian-made role-playing game system? Then you discovered that game had been canceled by an irritated televangelist in the 1980s. That's actually a decent setup for a contemporary novel, but in fact, it is a true story. Now suspense and fantasy novelist James R. Hannibal, owner of the role-playing game known as Dragon Raid, joins us to explore this true story of dice rolling, discipleship, and death and rebirth. Welcome anew to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com, where we find the best Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, and we apply the meanings of these stories to the real world that our author, Jesus Christ, calls us to serve. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of lorehaven.com. I'm also the co-author of a nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and my call sign is Scrum. And that was just given to me by a Air Force pilot who we're going to meet in just a minute. And this is episode 70. Why did a 1980s televangelist try to cancel the RPG Dragon Raid? And we'll be joined by former stealth pilot James R. Hannibal. He's no stranger to secrets and adventure. He's been shot at, locked up by service-to-air missiles, has hunted insurgents with drones, and he was once chased by an armed terrorist down a winding German road. James is the Carroll Award-winning author of the Clandestine Service Series and a three-time winner of the Silver Falchion Award for Juvenile Fiction for Section 13 series. James is also the owner of the RPG known as Dragon Raid. It will be relabeled in the coming years or so as Light Raiders. It is a discipleship learning system, as he describes it, uh, one that he was privileged to enjoy growing up. As he describes in the interview, it uses scripture memory and imagination to help train Christians, young Christians, those who enjoy fantasy games in the ways of the gospel. I have not actually played the game. I've seen it, though, and I've seen people's responses to it. It looks fascinating, at least to this outsider's view. And I myself did not grow up playing these kinds of games. So if you are unfamiliar with the idea of an RPG or a role playing game, uh, it also stands for Rocket Propelled Grenade. And so oddly enough, I think James may have experience <laughs> with both versions of that acronym. Uh, that's something that I am learning about right along with you. Uh, it's a fascinating story. Uh, and the story behind the game is just as fascinating. Well, Stephen, I'm so excited about this because the more I've learned about this game, I've realized it is not simply a Christian version of Dungeons and Dragons. And as someone who grew up playing role-playing games and then stepped away from them for a long time after I became a Christian, this is going to be really exciting to hear how this game works. So I think I hear some screaming engines outside. Uh, James has just touched down on the tarmac. Uh, he'll be joining us in the studio shortly. First, however, uh, we've just gotten an urgent alert from the base. Uh, before the dragons raid, alas, uh, the demons are raiding first. And you can find out more about that according to our first sponsor, which again is Joshua David's novel Seed Judgment. This is a science fantasy tale of biblical proportions from author Joshua David, and it's available now exclusively on Amazon. Here's the story description. Seed falls from the heavens and judges humanity. One foretells of the coming calamity, but the words are heeded too late. Few remain after the war against the cosmic demon. Long confined to one of the few outposts left on Earth, Sal accepts an unauthorized mission to find a survivor lost in the Vegas wastes. 
He believes his target is special, imbued with a spirit that might finally turn the tide against the darkness. But to save her from the risen, still haunting humanity, he'll have to fight alone and outgunned against enemies that have already conquered the world. That was the story description. Lorehaven actually offered a sponsored review of Seed Judgment, in which we said in part, Joshua David's Seed Judgment marries the Thing, Resident Evil, and Mad Max to generate a post-apocalyptic tale of frenetic intensity. There's a beauty to the brutality, a dance in the destruction. You can find that sponsored review and links to Seed Judgment at Amazon, as well as Joshua David, exclusively in our show notes for this episode. All right, let's open the hangar doors and get to this great interview. Well, James, thank you for fighting your way here through the enchanted forests, uh, warding off raiding dragons or any of the other obstacles of the Dragon Raid game. Thank you so much for joining Fantastical Truth. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So here's a question we enjoy asking newcomers to the podcast. How did you discover biblical truth, fantastic fiction, and what role did Dragon Raid, in your case, play in your journey? My father was a pastor in Colorado Springs. And, uh, you know, we had International Bible Society there. We had the Navigators. Uh, I think we had budding focus on the family at the time. But, you know, I was ops testing all the youth Bible studies to come out of all these different things. I was, I was a guinea pig as a tween and teenager. One of the things that first introduced me to fantasy, though, fortunately, I had a, a father who loved fantasy. And so he actually sat down with me, even at the age of 12 to read The Hobbit with me. He knew I was perfectly capable of reading it myself, but he wanted to share that experience with me, even Tom Bombadil, uh, which we all just kind of gloss over. But when Dragon Raid became available, who through members of our church community there in Colorado Springs, he bought me a set. I think even when given just the nature of feelings about different fantasy uh, items in the 1980s, uh, some parents might have been wary. My father jumped on it and bought me this set. And here it was, I had just, you know, I had done this sort of hiking compass themed program from the navigators and I had done just the rote memorization program from IBS. And here was this program. It was part of the story. You, you create a character, you involve yourself in the story and it's allegorical learning. So you're applying these scriptures in allegorical fantasy situations where you're battling orcs and goblins and spiders and solving problems and puzzles and making decisions, all based and founded on the word. And that for me was just the most effective youth Bible study program I had experienced. It stayed with me. And, and in my mind, ever since I had been a, you know, a light raider, a warrior for the kingdom, all the way through the Air Force Academy, through the Air Force flying fighters and stealth bombers, uh, there in my mind is how do you apply this as a light raider in today's world? Well, and you mentioned a term there, ops testing. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, I ops tested a youth uh, curriculum, a youth Bible study. So that must be an Air Force term. So what role did uh, the Air Force play in your, your journey of uh, fantastic stories and, and faith? Well, you know, my, my father also, he was not just a pastor, he was a chaplain. And before he was a chaplain, he was a pilot. Uh, my dad actually took a, the hit of, he was a captain, flight instructor, flying the T-38 jets 
um, which are these, you know, these really oh, fantastic cool. Coke bottle, uh, sleek training jets that we had. He was an instructor there. And instead of continuing on uh, that path, he felt called into the ministry. And so he went from captain back down to second lieutenant so that he could go into the reserve chaplaincy, which was a, a requirement at that time. But so I had this great mix of the pastor father who all his friends are fighter pilots. And, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I think those, that, that fantasy realm of the air in itself lends towards that imagination. And, and these are, these are imaginative people, even though they're type A personalities. And so I was exposed to that And Colorado Springs is sort of a hotbed of these type of people with the Air Force Academy right there. So uh, sure, the, the Air Force brought all of that together. Um, the Air Force is obviously a, uh, I, I think the Air Force um, certainly at the time was a Christian friendly place, but it was also a fantasy friendly place, new ideas. Uh, I got to be on the think tank for the B-21 Raider, which is the new stealth bomber that'll be coming out shortly. There's a long time I couldn't even tell people I was part of that, but this idea of advancing technology, bringing on the forefront, new ideas, the Air Force is a great place for imagination. Well, my outsider's view of the U.S. Air Force is that we likely would not have at least the current flavor of science fiction with all of its various subgenres if it weren't for all of the U.S. Air Forces uh, and all of the military's testing in the desert uh, starting in the earlier part of the 20th century. At least that's my perception, uh, apart from any uh, uh, supposed alien uh, crash landings or anything like that. So you've got, I'm sure, a lot of little sci-fi influence in there. But but for you, it sounds like your interest was primarily in this classic fantasy feel of the game Dragon Raid. And it sounds like it wasn't just rolling dice that you loved. It was the discipleship that you enjoyed from this game. So where did Dragon Raid come from? I've, I've gotten to see it myself, at least the current version. Uh, you had lots of copies at the, uh, the Florida event uh, where we met uh, for the first time. Lots of people loved seeing it and getting introduced to the concept. but where did this game come from in the first place? Like who made it and, and what was the idea behind its origin? So Dick Wolf, not law and order Dick Wolf, uh, but the Christian counselor and navigators author Dick Wolf uh, was coming up with various ideas for reaching youth for Christ. And he settled on a way of bringing forward the learning and role playing. So Dick didn't approach it from the idea of a role-playing game. A lot of uh, role-playing game developers started out, even Gary Gygax started out playing uh, Gettysburg-type games, military strategy games, they, and they come from that kind of rules background of creating something that, is, that mimics reality. Dick didn't come for, at it from that approach. What he came at it from was his experience as a Christian counselor who had used role-playing and counseling sessions to help and to teach and had seen how effective it was. And so there were a couple of others that he was talking about this and they said, okay, we can do this merger. And, and of course, Dick had also a fantastic imagination and had, had created this fantasy world of Telania and Eden again to go with it. And together they, they created Dragon Raid and it blew up. It, it went huge uh, fairly quickly. I think they sold 18,000 copies in the first year. Uh, it touched 100,000 lives. It was in Christian bookstores all over the nation. It was in Moody Monthly and all of this stuff right up until the Great Attack, uh, which I don't know if we want to get to yet in the podcast. But that's where Dragon Raid, that's what the inception of Dragon Raid was. It, was, it came from a 
place of how can we use this concept of role playing, which engages multiple parts of the brain, puts you in a situation which is not your own to increase retention and understanding of discipleship principles. In what year did the game come out? 1984. Almost as old as I am. (laughs) Well, you know, just that whole aspect of putting yourself in the shoes of another character. This is a biblical idea. Like we've talked before in the podcast that fiction is a biblical idea. It's a God idea. God is the one that gave us fiction. All throughout the Bible, we see store like fictional stories that are being told uh, so that you can relate to someone that's different than you and put yourself in their shoes and, and kind of see the world a different way and in the way that God wants you to see it. And so I, I love that this was such a smash hit in the beginning with Christian bookstores that other Christians, I, I'm really encouraged by that, that other Christians from the get-go saw the value in role-playing. Because you're right, it, it's, it's something that can help with counseling, it's something that can, but it, it's something that can help in everyday situations. Absolutely. When this game was kind of in its infancy and taking off, what were some of the main ways that you saw it touch lives? Well, it, and I was in a, in a small community, so it touched my life and it touched a couple of, of lives around me. We were teenagers at the time. Uh, you know, I can't say that it, it, in my experience, it pulled somebody out of some, uh, this darkness or the other, but it did create a camaraderie. It created that, that team as brothers in Christ. One of Dick's primary objectives when he was creating this game and other programs that he created through his life, and, and I, I should say, Dick passed three days ago. Oh, oh, goodness. We lost Dick on July 6, 2021. He had been given, I think, six months to live two and a half years ago. And he had been going strong. And then very quickly, they asked, uh, they recommended he go into hospice after his cancer levels spiked. And, uh, and then he went on to be with the Lord, having run the race so as to win the prize in a big way. But one of Dick's uh, life objectives was Christians together in Christ. And his website, the Lamb's Bride Project, had, uh, I think it was the, I don't want to misquote the number, but it was many, many togethers in Christ that you can find in Scripture. And so Light Raiders, as we rebrand, and we can get into that later, you'll notice that it doesn't say Light Raider. You will notice that it very intentionally on our banner says Light Raiders, because you are Light Raiders together, brothers and sisters in Christ in this uh, adventure and in this fight. And so that was one part of it was the teamwork and camaraderie that developed between me and the other teenagers that we were playing uh, right up until the point where we had we had no more stories to play. And I wasn't one of those kids who was very good at uh, creating the new story at the time. I was also getting ready to go to the Air Force Academy. Uh, and so that that sort of cut things off as we were uh, focusing on testing and other things. But I did see it, it touch the lives in that way. And then it just, you know, the re- retention and understanding of scripture for a teen was, was I, I think, a, a cut above what other programs were producing because it's the difference between rote memory and just reading a paragraph of application versus actually using it in situational learning. Yeah, imagining yourself in, in these other situations. Well, and I love that, the emphasis on Christians together. That was a big theme we talked about on our last episode about backsliding stories and how, you know, the really shallow stories about backsliding, it's like it shows someone going off in the wilderness and then finding their way back to God and then they come back and everything's fine. But I think in the more realistic and more interesting stories uh, like The Chosen, 
how it shows someone that wanders away from the Lord, but is brought back by other Christians. And in the case of the chosen, it was Mary Magdalene being brought back by Simon, Peter, and Matthew. And, you know, and, and Mary even makes this quip. She's like, I didn't even come back on my own. And it's like, well, that's exactly right. <laughs> like we, we can't do the Christian life alone. Like we need each other. And of course we need Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, but we really do need one another. And so I, I love that emphasis, uh, even of this uh, role-playing system, that it really is emphasizing the power of Christian togetherness. Absolutely. And that uh, it's something that we want to emphasize as we carry it forward as well, because it's so important. Well, I never met Dick Wolf, but you're making me look forward to meeting him. Uh, I did not realize that he had passed uh, so recently. I knew that you said that he had been moving toward the end of his race, uh, given the uh, given the disease that he had. Uh, but that at once is both very sad to me, but also I, I detect a sense of, of triumph. He seems to have left an amazing legacy and not just through the design of this game. And I find that particularly encouraging uh, given the many examples that are spread about Christendom on social media and otherwise about leaders or you know counselors or some other type of spiritual paragon who they do not die a hero. Uh, they live long enough to become a villain. And so in this case, I just I find that a great encouragement and also an encouragement to hear that he made this game as what it sounds like you're saying is a discipleship tool. And we've also discussed that in a previous podcast episode, the one with LG McCary about how stories are not just or the best stories anyway for the Christian. I think you, you can say that they're not just meant to be entertainment. Yes, yes. The, the recreation, the sense of joy that a story brings us is good, but that does need to be for the Christian in the context of discipleship. And so someone who starts to make a game as a discipleship tool, uh, that doesn't mean it's going to be a preachy game. Uh, we learn to be like Jesus, which is the point of discipleship, not just by listening to sermons, but by engaging our imaginations and engaging in those uh, empathic exercises, applying the truth in either the real world, but also training ourselves to apply it in a fictional world, even a fantastical world, which of course is closest to the real world because our real world with Christ as its author is a fantastic universe made for his glory. I do think that's an important dis distinction. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about the game out there that grew over 35 years while it was sort of in dormancy. Um, and one of those was when, when the game was shut down, a lot of the stock was sold off to game stores. And spread all over the country, sort of auctioned off, and it just wound up on game store shelves with no guidance. This, this game was originally sold in Christian bookstores. It was designed for youth pastors and Bible study leaders to be the leaders of the game. And then it wound up on shelves right next to other uh, secular role-playing games that are designed purely for entertainment. And two things came out of that. One is, is well, this is not a true role-playing game. I should be very clear on that. Dragon Raid was not, and, and in its materials, the new player briefing and the adventure master's guide, Dick was very clear on that. This is a discipleship tool. It's an adventure learning system was his, his uh, terminology that uses role-playing game elements. But without that guidance, without, without the articles in Moody Monthly and it being on a Christian bookstore shelf, when it just wound up on game store shelves, then people bought it alongside. And then, and then it, it went from, well, this must be a intentional replacement the Christian replacement for Dungeons and Dragons 
to that became the guess about the game to sort of the doctrine about the game. So 35 years later, you still see tweets. Like a couple of days ago, I saw a Twitter thread about uh, how this game was created to be the replacement for Dungeons and Dragons. Well, that's entirely not true. It's not even partially true. As a offshoot of what it created, you can use it as an alternative. If you like role-playing games and you want to have something that's more Christian-focused uh, and that you can use as a discipleship tool, yes. But that was not the created intent of the game. The intent of the game was as a learning tool, adventure learning system. I think it's increasingly appropriate for Christians with grace and wisdom to push back on those kinds of rumors. I saw another Twitter thread recently. It was a a bunch of people uh, contributing to the general atmosphere of Twitter, you will find, uh, responding to a news post about a new attraction that Answers in Genesis was putting together at their Ark Encounter uh, theme park. And people were just rolling their eyes and saying, oh, Answers in Genesis is going to take on racism now. And I look at that and I go, Answers in Genesis literally introduced me to the original Christian anti-racist doctrine back in the 90s. They were going after myths that fringe Christians had about the mark of Cain and the curse of Ham and all of this stuff. And they were specifically saying, no, God has made every person in his image. All of these different ethnic features probably came about as a result of uh, you know, genetic speciation after the dispersion at the Tower of Babel. That was their idea. Christians of good faith can disagree. But the point is, is that this was slander against, in this case, uh, an organization that did not deserve it. And in this case, too, like it is interesting to see that people apparently still do not understand a thing. And so they, they go after their old ideas. Oh, this was meant to be diet Dungeons and Dragons. Like I noticed the mode of judgment there in your paraphrase. This was intended to be. Well, it very well was not intended to be that. Uh, and the goals were very different. And uh, I think we have, we have some uh, examples that you mentioned earlier, James, of some compliments for the game and being so unique in the way that its rules are put together, as opposed to some uh, diet D&D attempts. Some of this is not without merit, right? Because like I just literally Googled cheesy Christian t-shirts and so much of these Christian t-shirts are just ripoffs of major brands like, you know, Reese's or FedEx or uh, Lifesaver, you know, <laughs> um, Faith Book. So we got Faith Book, we got Jesus King of Kings instead of Reese's, we got catch up with Jesus, yeah. you know, instead of Heinz. And so, you know, like dad joke t-shirts. Well, that does happen. That does happen. <laughs> yeah. This, this seems to be the, the generic, uh, you know, anti-Christian ripoff of the Christian right. idea. I mean, the, how, how far do we take this thing? If you're going to criticize Christians for being derivative first, be consistent and understand that this is a human issue, not just a Christian issue, yeah. but second, be fair, be fair, understand the thing before you accuse it of being a ripoff just because it looks like one to you. That is literally the same error committed by the legalistic Christian who thinks, oh, it appears to be evil, so it's probably evil. Don't be like that. So now I should also mention that some of our greatest defenders have also been atheists, which was, uh, it was mm. really amazing in May of uh, 2020, in the midst of the pandemic. We were wondering if we were going to have to shut this down before it began. I'm getting the bad letter from work that says you may not have a job in a couple of months. Uh, you're definitely going to be demoted. And it's honestly my private work. My, my work as a normal, you know, nine to five job citizen uh, is what's funding this thing. 
we're, we're investing everything that comes from my author writing and, and a little bit, it comes from my, from my day job with what's not going into the college fund for the kids is going into light Raiders and, and bringing this out. And so when we got that bad news, we you know, we lamented and we said, Lord, why did you give us this thing if we're going to have to shut it down so quickly? And the odd thing there was I was working on Paris Betrayal, which is a, an allegorical Job. And so I had just spent a year studying Job and I realized what I was doing. I was doing exactly what Job did. Woe is me, Lord. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> um, and so then we immediately repented and prayed uh, uh, for forgiveness for what we had just done. And that night, orders started within four hours of that moment orders started coming in and kept coming in and funded us for the next year. Those wow. orders were mostly a result of Vintage RPG Magazine writing a review of the game. An atheist reviewer wrote possibly the most objective review of Dragon Raid ever written. And all these collectors stepped up and said, I've got to have a copy. And so that funded us. Gee, thanks, atheists. Every once in a while, we can thank God for the common grace exhibited by persons who utterly reject his role as creator well, and savior God's of the world. God's sovereignty. It's 100% God's sovereignty. You will never get an argument from me over that. So, uh, gentle listener, you've already gotten a bit of a sneak preview as to the ultimate fate of the game, including the, uh, I guess that is, uh, real quick here, James, that is going to be a rebranding then from Dragon Raid to Light Raiders, with that emphasis on the plural, Christians players together raiding the light as it were correct yes raiding in the light and bringing the light to the darkness and the reason for that um is that uh, and this was not my idea it's my agreement but dick wolf one of uh the things that he mentioned when we did the handoff of the game was he wanted to focus on that um dragon raid dragons represent the evil in the game. Now, I, I don't want to get everybody riled up in a drug. You know, he's saying dragons are evil. Uh, there's a, a, a completely different podcast on uh, how we present creatures in the different fantasy worlds that we write. In this game, gr- dragons represent uh, sort of like fallen angels. They're fallen elder folk. Uh, who chose that form and corrupted that form. We have little paradragons that come out of the forest of believing that are what dragons, uh, these paradragons were created to be. But the great big dragons are are sort of these, uh, for lack of a better word, the demonic creatures, the, the fallen angel creatures uh, who are corrupting the world. And so because of that, Dragon Raid was an attack on, on these creatures uh, as you're going into the darkness to rescue the oppressed from the dragons. And Dick didn't want to focus on that anyway. He wanted, as we move forward, to focus on the light. The light raiders are the ones that are going on these dragon raids uh, in their light raider parties, again, together. And so he wanted that to be the focus, and that's where we're going to go. That makes sense. And and dragons have, throughout Scripture, uh, appeared occasionally. Uh, the most famous version is, of course, in the book of Revelation, where the dragon is pretty much a stand-in for the devil. But you also get a dragon-like creature you mentioned earlier in the book of Job. It's basically a Godzilla-type creature called Leviathan that spews fire and travels by the ocean and everything. So you've got a dragon-like creature created by God, but then you also have this symbol of evil. And, of course, traditional fantasy throughout the ages have used dragons as a symbol of evil. And for many Christians, that is too far. Even if the game or the story shows the dragon is evil, uh, lots of people can be very concerned about that. And others, as we've mentioned, and as we've been leading toward, others will use that as a means to say, no Christian should have anything to do with that. 
And so before we get to the redemption of Dragon Raid become Light Raiders, uh, we need to talk about what happened uh, back in the 1980s, I believe, when someone, uh, we'll try to be kind, of course, but someone led a campaign to effectively cancel the game. And back then they called it boycotting, but it was a, a moral campaign, as I understand, to oppose Dragon Raid, uh, to cancel the game, to have it uh, gotten rid of from the Christian bookstores. How much do you want to explore that? And like, how did that lead to the game falling out of favor, or at least people's awareness, at least for a while? Well, I can tell you, it puts the game in the ground. It didn't just fall out of favor. Uh, they put uh, adventure learning systems into bankruptcy. They buried the game. Everything had to be sold off, and Dragon Raid vanished for 35 years. Wow. And that was a result. And I want to differentiate here because we won't want to throw... Um, and, I, and I'm going to preemptively get into the, the term, the satanic panic, right? We, we throw that yeah, term around a lot. a concession stand. Yeah, we call it a concession <laughs> stand. We're, we do want to concede some stuff. Uh, I would say we don't want to say that anyone concerned about dragons is therefore a legalist or trying to cancel the game. There are legitimate concerns, but also some illegitimate efforts mixed in. And it takes discernment for the wise Christian to sort the differences. Absolutely. And so when we, when we use that, for, for me, I'm, I'm not a fan of the, the satanic panic term because it sort of makes fun of those who had, there were some legitimate concerns about the occult and about what we're taking in and what we're absorbing, especially when you're talking about a role-playing game, which uh, because it is such a powerful learning tool, it, can, it has a, a, a much deeper effect on the mind and what, we, what we're absorbing. Uh, especially as teenagers and kids. And so there were legitimate concerns, but obviously legalism, like you say, when we, do, when we make a hard and fast rule, you can't have dragons sort of thing, that took a different form. But I don't want to throw those who fell. I, you know, If we see the little old lady who uh, gave her life savings to the con man, we don't throw the little old lady under the bus. Yes, she made some poor decisions. She was misguided, but it's the con man who's at fault. And in this case, there was a real actual con man uh, who had misled the American people and the world's, uh, inter some international communities to a great extent, was participating in some very bad things, and people were soon to discover these bad things that he was participating in. And his sort of last campaign, distraction, uh, rallying cry was his campaign against Dragon Raid before he was finally caught. And even though months, mere months later, he was caught, uh, the damage was done. And so to his 230 million viewers and listeners, he preached against Dragon Raid. Uh, his followers, at least, I'm not sure if he actually said it himself, but some of his followers declared Dick Wolf to be the Antichrist because there were dragons in the game and because the Adventure Master would make spiritual arguments. So the way that you beat, I'm going to digress here, the way that you beat dragons in the game is less with, you You do battle dragons with sword and arrows and so, so forth, but as you're moving between the rounds of battle, the primary damage is done to the dragon with spiritual arguments. And so the adventure master has to present the sort of devil's advocate arguments that the, that the players have to counter in that role-playing context. And that's what the con man focused on. He pulled that piece out and said, uh, we're asking players to uh, channel in a medium sort of way, demons. And this obviously, instantly the boxes started coming home from the bookstores, getting the money back, and the company went completely into debt and went completely into the ground. So this is mysticism. 
the idea that someone, by practicing a form of, it sounds like apologetics to me, that by repeating the words that the bad guys say, for example, Psalm 14.1, which says, the fool says in his heart, quote, there is no God, end quote. The idea that if you repeat what the bad guys say in order to defeat it, that you're somehow channeling a demon, that the words are going to backfire on you and you're going to be corrupted somehow? That was very much, uh, that's a very good sort of sum up of how they did this. And yes, it seems to us today to be easily refuted, but uh, there was such a a hullabaloo, I should say, (laughs) I'm trying to avoid (laughs) uh, certain terms. Again, we're trying to be gracious. I I understand. But, But this hurt people, though. I'm trying to remember the name of the woman whose son had committed suicide and she blamed uh, Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing yeah. games for that. She actually brought Dragon Raid in as well. Once uh, the, the con man brought it up, that got it to her attention and she actually sort of talked against it on 60 Minutes, I believe. And so uh, it, it sort of all came together, I think, uh, with uh, what was it bothered about Dungeons and Dragons, her organization, uh, all happened at the same time and, and that contributed. So that's the illegitimate expression of anger of fear of of a kind of viral cancel campaign against the game at the same time it's worth noting every one of those kind of moral cancellation campaigns has some legitimate concerns mixed in and as we've said before it takes some discernment to sort those out so let's pause for a moment we get a lot of urgent warnings here in the fantastical truth studio and our next warning comes from the spiritual general the spiritual general's warning says that we should not panic as Christians about Satan. Still, we must beware the devil who does pace about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You can learn more about that in our second sponsor of this episode, A.J. Chamberlain's novel Urban Angel. This is a story of courage, redemption, and spiritual warfare set in contemporary London. Its description says, One day the church will be made perfect, but for now she bears the scars of war. Alex Masters knows all about that war. For her, the journey to faith has been marked by grief and loneliness, but still she chooses to believe. Daisy is a child of the social media generation, lost in every belief and none. When tragedy strikes, she seeks out her cousin Alex because she knows that Alex understands what it is to face the darkness. They come together, believer and unbeliever, hunted by an enemy that will do whatever it takes to achieve its goal. Alone, Alex and Daisy would be defenseless but this is not a struggle against flesh and blood and not every weapon is visible. Urban Angel launched in ebook and paperback format on July the 1st, and it's available from all the major ebook platforms and your local bookshop. It's the first book in the Masters series. One reviewer said, Urban Angel is distinctly different from standard Christian fiction. It doesn't shy away from the tough issues faced by Christians. It's gutsy, frank, and relevant. I was not familiar with any of this. I, I missed what people uh, labeled the satanic panic. I missed the legitimate concerns back then. I grew up in the 80s, but I wasn't paying attention to that stuff. I was too young to follow all of it. And I also missed uh, the interest in playing these kinds of games myself. And of all of the fandom interests I have, uh, I didn't get into D&D or Pathfinder or Dragon Raid or any of those. So Zach, however, apparently does have more background with those games. And I'm interested to hear from him about his experience. Yeah, so in some ways, I could be held up as the poster boy for why your kids should not play role-playing games, because I was into the occult and role-playing games, both, as a teenager. But what's important to say here is that I was into, my interest in the occult, new age, mysticism, whatever you want to say, happened before I was introduced to role-playing games. 
And so in some ways, the role-playing games I was into, you know, may have opened my imagination up a little bit more or may have solidified some things I, I, I already believed. And, you know, we can talk about that in a second, how your imagination can kind of work against you sometimes. And so it, it's a powerful thing and it, and it can be exploited by the evil one. But in my case, I was into those ideas before I ever played Shadowrun, in my case, and, and Rifts was the other one. And, and there were a few others. I had actually, I don't think I ever played Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I grew up going to church. I was in a, a family that went every Sunday to church, but I was not familiar with all with like Christian subculture, Christian art, Christian books, and, and Christian role-playing games like that. That never was on my radar. And I never heard this, you know, satanic panic kind of stuff. The bottom line is with my kids, I haven't let them play role-playing games yet, but I want to play Light Raiders with them. And there's some other like very simple, like family-friendly games I want to play that are role-playing. Some of the other parental concerns are not even about the mystical elements. It's it's about, well, my kid plays this game all day long for eight hours or 12 hours, and um, they get so closely attached to this avatar, like their character, their that when they lose this character, then they just, they're crushed. And it's like, well, okay, those are the same concerns we can have about any that we, you know, they're playing this game too long or um, they're too caught up in this, you know, fiction story that a character dies and they're, they're too crushed by it. And so there's just some good old fashioned parenting that needs to happen there. But it is interesting how the idea that a game can bring you over to the spiritual side. I mean, that that's really a hotly debated topic, right? Because it, it, it brings to mind the idea of meat sacrifice to idols that, you know, can you enjoy this physical thing without it becoming a spiritual danger? So what do you think about that? Well, and I, we can have this, uh, the meat sacrifice to idols discussion is a very long one, breaking down 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 and Paul's essay about why the Corinthians should not eat meat sacrificed to idols. And that's what they were asking is, can we conform to the world uh, because of our Christian freedom? And his answer is, it's not a question of can you, but whether you should. And his closing argument is do that which is beneficial for others out of love. Don't don't be puffed up. His opening statement is don't be puffed up in your knowledge and prideful, but be loving and sacrificial. His In chapter nine, we, t- we get into the sacrificial love and he gives this example as an apostle. And then in chapter 10, we close with everything is permissible, not everything is beneficial. And so that's where we have to make those discerning decisions as parents. I don't recommend role-playing games that involve, it it really depends on the source of um, magical elements in the game and how those are applied, um, how things like lots of fantastical worlds, uh, even such, such as Greek mythology, have gods and things like that that are part of that world. How is that applied? How is that treated in the game? Every decision is nuanced. And requires that discernment. But when we talk about something specific, um, what we don't want to do is lead the new Christian or the non-believer down the wrong path. And that's another thing that 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 is about, is about skewing the uh, younger Christian or the, the less mature Christian's moral compass to where they do something that takes them down the path away from Christ. And that's where Paul actually says this is a sin, is if, if you cause your brother to stumble, if you cause them to take a path away from Christ, then you're sinning against Christ. And so we want to be obviously careful about that. And 
that's where it comes into think about what is beneficial beneficial for them, not in my eyes, but in God's eyes. And so what am I giving to my children? Obviously, new Christians, uh, if they're Christians. What image am I presenting to the non-believers in my life when I endorse or through my participating in something, endorse that thing? What what moral signal am I sending to their compass, which if they're a non-believer is still spinning in a way? So those are the decisions we have to make when we decide about role-playing games to play. Again, Light Raiders is not a replacement. It, we, two things for Light Raiders. One is it's not an evangelical tool. It's a discipleship mm. tool. So it presumes that you're a Christian mm-hmm. when you start playing. We're creating, we, we have two Kickstarters coming up. And again, one is a discipleship tool and one is an evangelical tool. First watch is scripture memory and application cards that go with the Light Raider games and are a standalone game on their own. and then. Down the road, we have Star Lots, which is a family game, which is just meant to bring people to the table and open discussions. But it's so that's the evangelical school. Light Raiders or Dragon Raid is not a evangelical tool. So I don't know that you're going to find too many testimonies. I would love to hear it if it's out there, if people are listening and they say, Light Raiders uh, brought me out of, uh, I was getting into dangerous things because I was playing a role-playing game that was too much. Um, I was getting too into the occult because of it. And Light Raiders or Dragon Raid brought me out of that. I would love to hear that story, but I don't think there's too many stories of that out there. One of the reasons is, is if you're playing a deep, in-depth, true role-playing game and you think that Dragon Raid is supposed to be the Christian replacement, you're going to be disappointed because it's not a true role-playing game. It's a guided choose-your-adventure uh, with role-playing game elements. And so you're, and this is where you get comments like, oh, it's a railroading game. It pushes you down a path. Well, yeah, it does because it has a spiritual lesson to teach with each uh, adventure. Uh, just a quick aside here, you know, we, we've got Lord of the Rings coming out on, uh, is it Netflix uh, sometime later? Uh, Amazon. Or Amazon, yeah, next year. And I wonder if there's going to be a person that goes, oh, Lord of the Rings is the Christian version of Game of Thrones. Oh, <laughs> just know no. that. oh that would be yeah. absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I'm calling oh, we, it now. Someone's going to say oh, it. We haven't even done the episode yet about why there should not be naked people in Amazon's Middle Earth series, <laughs> even though some ludicrous arguments have gotten about that because the hobbits are described as frolicking in the grass near Tom Bombadil's in the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, that would somehow justify it. But yeah, anything anything good can be corrupted, and that really is, I think, the ultimate point there is that a moral concern against a game or a Christian uh, creation of some kind can be corrupted into, frankly, con artistry, and good people with good intentions can be slandered as the Antichrist. Like, what a ridiculous notion. Like, even from that view of prophecy, the it takes a lot more to be qualified as the capital A antichrist i mean i i used to read all of those books back in the late 90s and early hundreds i would note that at least as as far as i know and just hearing your testimony james about uh, dick wolf and his work and his life story the man labeled as the antichrist seems to have finished well in the faith and the one doing the accusations uh, has been thoroughly discredited and i think those testimonials do figure into how we discern the results of something like this. You can't just look at it from a distance and say, oh no, dragons. It takes some years to see what the long-term benefits will be. And that's why we enjoy asking those questions for anyone who comes to the podcast is how does you how did you discover biblical faith and fantastic fiction? That's a testimony. And it's not just about evangelism. It's not just about, you know, trying to use this stuff to get people saved or to make a decision. That's great too. But I view these stories, these games as legitimate and powerful discipleship tools. 
that Christ can use in the hands of flawed creators who are still trying to glorify him in order to help us get closer to Jesus. And I want to make a point that you made um, about that discernment and what we see from results is another way that we as parents or we as leaders can discern what sort of games we're playing, what sort of games we're introducing. And that is, uh, you know, I, I often hear, well, I'm only using this side of it, or I'm only using this element of it. And I understand that. But when you're endorsing that to a student or to kids, uh, what are they going to go out and do? And James brings that up and how we discern even even though one part of something may seem good and useful and another part is obviously not uh in you know James 1 he talks about does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening can a fig produce olives my brothers and sisters or a grapevine produce figs neither can salt water spring uh, a salt water spring yield fresh water so James is helping us understand uh there with discernment yeah. The idea of fruit inspection can certainly be corrupted. An angel of light can look like a spiritual godly leader and put on the appearance of good deeds and good fruit, but the ages will eventually reveal uh, which trees were well-rooted and which were just posers all along. Uh, James, in your case, I do want to finish, or at least uh, up to this point, uh, that story of how Dragon Raid has come back. Uh, what was your role then in not only being a player of the game, uh, but actually getting to meet Dick Wolf and like, when did, uh, when did this come about uh, that you were blessed to start helping redeem the game, uh, expand the world. And then uh, from there we can get into uh, the future of the world of the light Raiders. Uh, God gave me this pause. It's hard for me to imagine now with as busy as my writing life has become is that I would even have this long pause in my writing career. But he gave that to me. Um, and of course, when you're waiting on God for some things, it's often hard to understand why and what are we doing here? But in that case, it gave me this big pause when my kids were at that, that tween age range and some other uh, kids that we were working with and my nieces and nephews were in that prime age range for a great youth discipleship program. And here I was remembering the most impactful discipleship program that I experienced. And I said, well, I want to find something like that for my children and uh, the children in my sphere. And so I went looking, could not find anything. But what I did find was a vintage box of actual Dragon Raid, 1980s in a box. <sighs> You know, you open up that, you crack that plastic, <laughs> open up that box, and oh, it's 1985 um, uh, or 1986 because it had the Moonbridge expansion. But the uh, <laughs> what I found there um, uh, was something that my kids absolutely loved. And so we began playing the game. And of course, because Dragon Raid was so short-lived, we immediately, we very quickly ran out of uh, game to play. And I began writing some. And what I did is because I was in between writing stories, and, and I think many people probably know that I write under a pseudonym. The military asked me to write under a pseudonym when I began writing, and I still do. So I write under my real name. I had made contact, and I wrote these stories for my kids to continue playing the game, and I sent them to the person who had sold me the box. Well, that person uh, was uh, in relatively constant touch with Dick Wolf. Uh, a whole group of guys that, that acted as stewards of the game uh, for many years. And they sent my stories to Dick Wolf. They kind of passed them around, I think. Um, and they got back to me and said, hey, you're not a bad writer. And I thought, well, thanks. I'm published by a couple of top five major publishers under a different name. And <laughs> so we began to have dialogue about writing a series, which is where Wolf Soldier comes from. 
but in that process, I was introduced to Dick, and he was diagnosed and given a very short time to live and had to make some decisions about the future. And he then asked me to uh, carry Dragon Raid forward as Light Raiders uh, to a new generation. Now, this had been after the game had been canceled and effectively mothballed. You've previously spoken literally of rooms full of these unopened, freshly made in the 1980s boxes of the Dragon Raid set that had just been unused that whole time because there was nowhere for them to go. Uh, yes, and I should be. I should caveat. We have a limited number of actual in the plastic boxes that are, uh, you know, great prizes. Um, as far as us, they're great treasures. As, as you know, trying not to store up too many earthly treasures here, but those are fantastic. Um, what we do have is what we what we brought home was ten thousand pounds of uh, publishing boxes, so the original printers' boxes. So how the games were put together back in the eighties was is they came. You have the boxes which are kind of fold together game boxes. And then you place the adventure guidebooks in them and the game boards in them and everything was in its original, um, you know, like an entire press box of game boards, an entire press box of uh, the Rescue the Sacred Soul Scrolls adventure guidebook and so on and so forth. And so what we do when we put a game, a vintage box together for someone is, is we put the box together and then we go to each of those original 1980s press boxes and we pull out the original guidebooks uh, from from all those, just like they were doing in the 80s. And so, yeah, we still have those. We're actually offering um, a limited number of those. We don't have a whole lot left, but we're offering that limited number um, as rewards in our Kickstarter, uh, which is uh, coming up shortly. And all those links, of course, will, will be in the show notes. Uh, James, real quick, I have to ask about the audio cassette. Uh, we've heard some samples from uh, the website. How did that come about, the audio cassette that's introducing you to Dragon Raid? And it's got the the lovely 80s uh, synth uh, going on there. It's, uh, it's a blast from the past. Well, if you think about how passionate Dick Wolf is for his uh, goal in creating this discipleship program, if you think he's sort of a, a, a good side of uh, John Hammond's spared no expense, instead of raising dinosaurs, he was creating this discipleship program. And that audio tape is a, is a guide for how you put together a character, which is, this is something that we're addressing as Light Raiders goes forward because the, the real game aficionados will go, that is a lot of stats and a lot of math. <laughs> Putting together a single character is about 45 minutes of math. And so, yeah, we're, we're kind of drawing that down. Everything will be backwards compatible and forwards compatible, but we're, James Brown is really good. Our, uh, like we talked about James R. Brown, who previously worked on the One Ring games for Cubicle 7, um, is one of our writers and artists and rule makers, and he is uh, doing a great job of paring those rules down and making things, again, backwards and forwards compatible. So they, they put together this tape to introduce you to that process and guide you through it. And they added some dramatic elements. So the tape opens with this dramatic scene. And then as a welcome to Dragon Raid, and you've got all these great <laughs> music. I can't do it uh, uh, in the background. And then they end with the introductory story to the uh, Light Raider test, which was the first adventure to sort of give you an example of how the Adventure Master should be reading those stories. So, James, what is next for uh, the Dragon Raid Become Light Raiders franchise, if you will? Uh, you've got Wolf Soldier, you've already mentioned. That is the uh, fantasy novel based on the game universe. It's coming out from Enclave Publishing this fall. Uh, what else then happens as you move forward with the game? Uh, this uh, backwards compatible changes that you're making and, of course, uh, the name change and anything else that you're blessed to plan for in the future? 
Well, like I said, when we started, we were doing this on, this is the shoestring um, revival of the game. And so everything is either funded from us or funded from the sales of the vintage set. So we initially, we just sort of put the vintage set online uh, and that's that's been a funding source. And then we are using some Kickstarters of some supplements. So you have the first watch card game, which is next in, next in a matter of days. You can already go to our website and uh, join that Kickstarter. And that's, you know, these are the things that are going to enable us to carry this system forward. Uh, we get the question, well, how come you haven't done, you know, you created this uh, scripture memory app and application game suited in the fruit of the spirit. And it's got some fantastic artwork by Kirk DuPonts, which, you know, we all know is a fantastic artist. Uh, why didn't you do more? Why didn't you do more monsters and more uh, uh, light raiders and things like that? Because art costs art. There's, you know, and so we have to do these things step by step. But First Watch Works is a fantastic uh, card game that enables you to do scripture memory and application from two sort of memory forms. We use flash memory uh, in the rules of the game where you can hold a card up, quickly memorize the verse. All the verses are 17 words or less. They're the level one of the verses used in the games. And uh, then you can turn it around and say it to your companions. And if you get it word for word right, then you claim that victory in that little battle piece of the card game. Um, but you also have on the back of the card where it just has the reference scripture applications, 175 characters or less, uh, created by Dr. Gary Huckabee, who is our theological advisor, seminary professor, and Holman Bible Dictionary contributor. So he created these applications. They create keyword key concept memory. So as you're studying this, these verses, you're getting those applications to help you remember what's in the verse. And then you're using mm. flash memory in the game. So you have those two forms. And then you also have as a reference. So that, that's how the game works as a, as a standalone, um, you know, matching things suited by the fruit of the spirit, different Bible verses and gaining these little battle victories. But they, the deck also works as a reference deck in the game. So on one side, you have the real world application. And on the other side, you have the game applications that uh, show you how it, or how the allegorical effect in the game affects your stats, and it plays with Wolf Soldier. So if you go through, if you're reading Wolf Soldier, um, the characters there, because we don't want to take them out of the story, speak verses in the in the language of the world, and so we didn't want to mix worlds where we have uh, the um, Dastan, which is the the, the planet uh, that they're on. If you kind of think of that in the fantasy realm. We didn't want to mix that world with our world by putting inserting our Bible into that world. But obviously, the whole world is about bringing people closer to Christ. And so we used uh, a language. We have a written tongue with its grammar and all that other stuff. Um, wow. That is how the Bible verses are spoken. But the characters sort of then, rem as they listen to it, they're in their mind, they're thinking of those key, key concept, key words as they're translating the language in their mind. And that helps you identify what scripture we're actually talking about that. And you can go into your card deck and you can, in the first watch card deck, and you can see some of them are level two and level three verses, but the level one verses that are in the, in the, in the first deck that we're about to Kickstarter, you can find them and you can see the characters experiencing the same game effects in Wolf Soldier that you can read on the card and that you would experience as a character playing in the Dragon Raider, Light Raider game. So it all, you know, gels together. So we have that coming up. We have Starlots, which is our evangelical tool, which is four games played on a cloth board, two-sided. And that should be Kickstartering shortly after First Watch. And then in while all that is happening, we are revamping Dragon Raid into the Light Raiders Adventure Bible Study. So that's our first step. And there's so much more to come because I, we do have that hunger for the for the full up role playing game, 
that is on the, the, the rules level and the play level of something like 5e or something like uh, the Middle Earth role-playing games or the One Ring games. And that's where we're working towards. We're a couple of years away from that as we go step by step and, and build this from that initial shoestring. Coming into this interview, James, I, not knowing very much about the Dragon Raid system and the history, you know, Stephen knew a lot more about it. You know, I was coming in with the impression of, okay, so this is like the Christian version of D&D, like you kind of said, uh, because that was my only real reference. But after hearing how all of this works, I got to say, you know, that is totally not the right label. The, the, the correct comparison might be this is the fantasy version of Awanas. That is a very good, I had not thought of that, but yes, that is actually kind of true. Or Royal yeah. Ambassadors from, if I'm, I'm dating myself here. <laughs> yeah, I love that. The focus of these games is Christian discipleship, it's scripture memory, it's character development. You know, those are not secondary to the purpose of these games. It's not simply, oh, this is the role-playing games that you already know from the secular world with some little, you know, with some Jesus slapped on top. Like, this is, the the core of this is drawing people into a, a closer relationship with God through his word, through prayer, fellowship and uh spiritual development so way to go this sounds really awesome well thanks way to go to dick wolf uh who created this thing and i hope that as a steward of the game uh in the next couple uh, hopefully decades that we carry this forward uh we'll we'll do justice to the original concept which was so unique and uh such a fantastic tool for youth well, we can learn more, not just about uh, Dragon Raid, soon to become Light Raiders, but all of these other worlds that James has created. Uh, he is a suspense uh, military, as well as fantasy novelist in several other spheres. You can go to jamesrhannibal.com and get the updates there. We will include a bunch of links, as I've said in our show notes, uh, information about Dragon Raid, as well as the game sets at the lightraiders.com website and uh, the Kickstarters that uh, you've mentioned as well. And of course, uh, there's the upcoming YA fantasy title, Wolf Soldier, uh, which is coming out from Enclave Publishing uh, this fall. Is that October, correct? Yes, it is. October. Okay. So we'll have to take a look out for that. And uh, hopefully we can get an advanced copy and consider reviewing that for Lorehaven. James, really appreciate getting to talk with you again. I look forward to being with you at uh, future events uh, at which we'll get to maybe even play this game ourselves. I've not played it. Uh, I'm not very familiar with the with those uh, types of systems, so I would appreciate the chance to be inducted uh, as if for the first time uh, with the universe that uh, you've had a hand in stewarding now. Well, thank you. It's been exciting to be here, and it's been a real pleasure talking with you both. Thanks for coming on, James. Well, Stephen, that was fantastic to learn that Dragon Raid is not simply... Dungeons and Dragons with Jesus slapped on, and it's it's very much a discipleship tool. It is, like I said, it's the fantasy version of Awana. And so I talked to my kids about this before this episode, and they are really excited to see this. So, you know, I can't wait to play this. Uh, maybe at Realm Makers with James, uh, maybe another way, uh, maybe over Zoom. I don't know how people play RPGs nowadays. You know, I can't wait to... Uh, become a holy warrior working for the overlord of many names uh, as it says in the game and i think this is going to be a really fun thing for our listeners to enjoy together i especially appreciated our discussion about the side effects of role-playing games it is correct that as with anything uh, any christian can fall into idolatry even with a good thing i mean you have people who will idolize study of the scripture you know idolize particular aspects of the christian faith that does not make them evil and someone who is in the gospel, uh, who is taking every thought captive, 
uh, can avoid any more than usual that distortion of a good gift into idolatry. There's a phrase I use a lot. I will probably mangle the Latin, uh, but I've memorized at least uh, the words, uh, how they're spelled on the page or for a comment section. Abusus non tollet busum. It literally means the abuse of a thing does not disqualify proper use. I would apply that to even a secular game like Dungeons and Dragons or uh, any other role-playing game that is not actively sinful or sin-inducing. And I would certainly apply that to a Christian-made game uh, that is very different, that is designed specifically for the purpose of discipleship. We do have to be aware of side effects, of course, uh, from a good gift that can go bad because of a sinful human heart. I would also remind you, as a, just by way of a random observation, that side effects from drinking holy water may include time travel. That leads us to our final sponsor for this episode, which again is Revel Books and author Jody Headland with Come Back to Me. She was actually on the podcast a few episodes ago. This is the description of this time-traveling romance fantasy adventure. The ultimate cure that could heal any disease? Crazy. That's exactly what research scientist Marion Crichton has always believed about her father's quest, even if it does stem from a desire to save her sister from the genetic disease that stole their mother from them. But when her father falls into a coma after drinking a vial of holy water, believed to contain traces of residue from the tree of life, Marion must question all of her assumptions. He's left behind tantalizing clues that suggest he's crossed back in time. Insane. Until Marion tests his theories, and finds herself in the Middle Ages during a dangerous peasant uprising. William Durham, a valiant knight, comes to Marion's rescue and offers her protection as his wife. The longer Marion stays in the past, the more she cares about William. Can she ever find her father and make it back to the present to heal her sister? And when the time comes to leave, will she want to? That was the story description. Award-winning author Melanie Dobson endorsed the book, saying, Brimming with wonder, come back to me. We'll keep you riveted until the last page, captivated by the possibilities. You can find the links to the book and our previous interview with Jody Headland in the show notes for this episode. Well, we would like to hear from you, the listener. If you have played Dragon Raid as a kid or as an adult, if you are looking forward to the kind of the revamped version of this, Light Raiders, or if you're just an RPGer that is curious about this game, please send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com. We would love to know your experience or your expectations and, uh, you know, any stories you want to share with us, we, we'd love to share them on the podcast. So it's podcast at lorehaven.com. You can also see the show notes for this episode at lorehaven.com slash podcast. Send us a note directly or look us up on the socials, Lorehaven Mag on Facebook at Lorehaven on Twitter, and then follow us at Lorehaven Mag on Instagram as well. And make sure to subscribe for updates at lorehaven.com. We've recently made a few changes to the site, uh, just adding some navigation and some other things that readers need. Uh, you can go to lorehaven.com slash subscribe. It's free, of course, to get those uh, daily updates every time we post a new article. You can also choose to get updates when we post new podcast episodes on Tuesdays and new reviews on Fridays. Next on Fantastical Truth, this week, Zach and I are both heading to the Realm Makers Conference, which is live in St. Louis, and it's also available online for anyone who registers. This is the premier Christian-led conference for faith-based creators of fantasy, science fiction, and beyond. I will be captaining the Lorehaven booth in the bookstore and talking about the mission of the site. And Zach is basically running the audiovisual for streaming classes at the conference, so Please pray for this event and for the gospel faithfulness and Christ-exalting creativity of every Christian storyteller who is attending. 
Uh, Meanwhile, we will plan to share more about this event and how it went either next week or as soon as we return to the podcast. Meanwhile, whether you are fighting the dragon of sin in real life or entering a fantasy game world to fight imaginary dragons, make sure you're focusing not on the evil of the dragons, but on the shining light from our hero, Jesus Christ, as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. 